0: Let's see, we've got uh, Psalm 119, verse 73 is what we're going to start with today. Psalm 119, verse 73 says, Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word, to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Let's see. We'll read this day in Christian history, which is today. I don't know what. Anybody know what today is? No, no.
1: Eighteenth.
0: Eighteenth. Okay, eighteenth. All right. I put the 27th October. That's not right. It's going to be. I don't know. 21st is uh, Sunday. Okay, 18th. Why is France today considered a mission field? The same reason that the U.S. is. Yeah, the wars of religion began in France in 1562 between the Roman Catholics and the French Protestants called Huguenots. The Huguenots were led by the family of Henry Navarre, a minor kingdom, including a small portion of southern France and the present Spanish province of Navarre. Henry inherited the throne of Navarre from his staunchly Calvinist mother. When his cousin King Henry III of France died in 1589, he became heir to the throne of France. His Calvinism made him an unacceptable candidate in Catholic France until he embraced Catholicism in fifteen ninety three. He was then crowned Henry the fourth, or yeah, the fourth. Once he became king, however, he did not forget his Huguenot roots, and in fifteen ninety eight he issued the Edict of Nantes. I'm sure I'm pronouncing all of these places wrong, but that's all right. The agreement gave the Huguenots freedom of religion in certain areas of the country, civil equality, and fair administration of justice. It provided the Huguenots with a state subsidy for their troops and pastors and allowed them to retain control of approximately 200 towns. The Edict of Nantes was historically unique in that it was the first time freedom was granted to two religions to coexist in a nation. By the late 1600s, Henry IV's grandson, Louis the 14th was king of france but louis XIV shared none of his grandfather's empathy for the huguenots and on october eighteenth, sixteen 1685 <clears throat> he revoked the edict of nantes all huguenot worship and education were forbidden and all huguenot churches were either destroyed or turned into catholic churches huguenot clergy were given 14 days to leave france but the remaining huguenots were forbidden to emigrate All children within France were to be baptized by a Catholic priest and raised as Catholics. Mounted soldiers were housed in the homes of Huguenots. The troops were given license to do anything they pleased, short of murder. They forced their hosts to dance until they collapsed. They poured boiling water down their throats. They beat the soles of their feet and pulled out the hairs from their beards. Sounds like the Catholic Church today the they built the beat the souls oh i read that the soldiers burned the arms and legs of their huguenot hosts with candles and made them hold red hot coals in their hands they forced women to stand naked in the streets some 400,000 converts were forced to attend mass and receive the eucharist those who spat out the wafers as they left the church were sentenced to be burned alive obstinate huguenot men were imprisoned in dungeons and unheated cells The women sometimes fared better as they were sent to convents where they were often uh, to receive unexpectedly sympathetic treatment from the nuns of the 1.5 million Huguenots living in France in 1660. Over the next decade, 400,000 risked their lives by escaping across the guarded borders. Geneva, a city of 16,000, welcomed 4,000 Huguenots. Although they were Catholic, English King Charles II and James II added the Huguenot immigrants in their country. An entire quarter of London was soon populated with French workers. The elector of Brandenburg gave such a friendly reception to the Huguenots that over a fifth of Berlin was French by sixteen ninety seven Holland welcomed thousands and gave them citizenship. Dutch Catholics joined Protestants and Jews in raising money for Huguenot relief. Many Huguenots fled to the south fled to South Carolina and to other colonies as well. At the height of the Reformation, nearly half of the population of France was Huguenot. But as a result of the revocation of the Edict of Nantes and the intense persecution that followed, today less than 1% of the French share the faith of the Huguenots, making France a mission field for the Gospel. Reflection, why do you think God allowed the revocation of the Edict of Nantes? Were there any positive outcomes? Have you wondered why God allowed certain negative things to happen to you? Have you seen any positive outcomes to them? God often allows us to go through negative experiences without letting us know why. But someday, when we get to heaven, he'll make it all plain. I am the one who creates the light and makes the darkness. I am the one who sends good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. That's Isaiah 45, verse 7. So there you go with that. Okay, let's see. We have... uh, Freda, who's walked outside because she's coughing so badly, she has not been feeling well. So we want to keep her in prayer. And uh, I'm glad to see she's here, but she hasn't been well. Jim is traveling. We have um, Miss Magnuson, who's here on Sundays and sometimes on Thursdays, has been sick for over a month now. So I went to see her yesterday, and she's very weak. She's just, you know, she's struggling. But she emailed this morning and said she was feeling a bit better. So... uh, you know all these things and so many more that we just have to uh, pray for people. But let's go ahead and go to the Lord, Heavenly Father. We we do uh, ask that you bless these people that are feeling low or that are traveling or that are uh, having troubles or trials. Linda here has got some difficulties coming up in her own life right now, and we would ask that you would be a husband and a father to her and just help her through these difficult trials. And Lord. And there's so many things that hinder us from praising you and uh, it shouldn't be that way we should try to praise you even through the storm and that's often difficult so give us strength to do that and give us wisdom to handle the difficulties properly so that uh, we uh, we are just able to get through them and and glorify you in the process and lord we love you we praise you we thank you for the chance to come and meet together and to look into your wonderful and precious word And we just uh, thank you for this beautiful book of Romans. It's been a real adventure, and we're just uh, uh, excited about it. So we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We're in Romans uh, 15, verse 26 is where we're starting at today. And uh, I hope Fred will be all right. She walked out. She's just coughing. So let's see here. 1526 says, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. All right, let me back up just so we know the context, because uh, that's kind of a standalone verse. I'll go back to 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first, I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, and that's where 26 comes in, for please those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain, excuse me, contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Okay, here we go. As the book of Romans supports the book of Acts and vice versa, what Paul writes here also supports his other writings in many ways. In this verse, he notes a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. This, in turn, supports verses such as 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 4, which then refers to something he said in Galatians 2.10. So it's all woven together. The Bible always is internally uh, supporting itself. So really quickly, let me take you to um, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. You doing okay, Freda? Ah, we're praying for you here. All right, sixteen one through four. Here's what it says. Now, collecting concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay up something aside, storing it up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, obviously we're gonna get into um Corinthians here in a while and uh we'll talk about that again. But a couple points there. The first one is that there are no prescriptions in the New Testament for giving. None. There's one thing that Paul says um uh, give as you have been or as you prosper or as you have been blessed, something like that, which isn't really prescriptive. It's just kinda of, it, it is prescriptive in the sense that he wrote it and it's what you're to do, but he doesn't give any amount, he doesn't give any time frame or anything. And then the other uh, thing for giving is Galatians 6, 6, I think, where it says, um, let me go there really quickly just so that we don't misquote it. And I think it's 6, 6. Yeah, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That's about it for giving in the New Testament. All right. And um, it, it, this one here is for a special collection that's being made. He says save up on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, by the way. It's not Saturday. But um, Uh, Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Okay. Oh, that's it right there. As you may prosper. But even that itself isn't really directive in nature. He's making a collection and he's recommending how they do it. Okay. They said that they would make a collection. And uh, so he's reminding them to do it. But in the New Testament, there is no forcing of people to give. And so people should not be duped into that in any way, shape or form. When they listen to ministries online, when they attend ministries, anything like that. You should give as you feel you want to give. And that is it. Yes.
1: I was going to ask. I know in
0: the early church in Jerusalem, they were selling their assets. They weren't just giving out of. And that didn't work out, did it? No. Yeah. See, you know. They they became poor. Yeah. They did become poor. And, you know, what they were doing is they were still under the kingdom mentality where they thought that this is the kingdom is coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember Acts 6, uh, 1, 6 through 7. And they're thinking the Lord is going to be back soon. We're going to have a community. We'll all work together. And you know they're doing the same thing in israel today with their uh uh you know they've got yeah the kibbutzim where they they get together and everybody's kind of it's kind of a (laughs) commie system that they have yeah but um uh it, it did not work in the book of acts and it ended up ended up where uh they were all dispersed anyway but um you're right and um as far as paul is concerned there is really no prescription on giving at all and then um one other thing oh i already said it on the first day of the week so they met on sundays even in early church so people that say that you know they'll find all kinds of reasons to say that doesn't say what it says but it does say that so those are two points out of that passage in addition to confirming romans and then the other one i cited was galatians 2 10 and that one says and i don't remember what why i referred to that but we'll find out right now uh oh yes they desired i'll go back to nine and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that he had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So he's just confirming what he said there. He's there to help the poor, and in particular, the poor in Jerusalem. And he made his point. Why is because... um, When we benefit from their spiritual matters, they should benefit from our material matters. And that's not a direct quote by any means, but there you go with that. So um, then going on and the gift, when being prepared, is later noted in the following passages from 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to take you back from Galatians 1 book to 2 Corinthians, and that's in chapter 8, where it says... And the reason why i'm doing this is it just helps you understand that the bible supports itself in all ways moreover brethren we make known to you the grace of god bestowed on the churches of macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality for i bear witness that according to their ability yes and beyond their ability they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the Saints Okay, and then he goes on in chapter 9 now concerning the ministering to the Saints It is superfluous for me to write to you for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians That Ahia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So um, we'll get to the Corinthians eventually but in what happened is the corinthians made a promise that they were going to give a certain amount of money then now it's time for him to come and pick that up and he wants to make sure he doesn't get there and be embarrassed or more them be embarrassed by having made a commitment that he's told to the macedonians who'd given this huge amount of money when they were poorer than the corinthians and so he's trying to avoid any problems with that collection this is what he's writing about here this he's writing about in galatians and also in the two books of the corinthians He doesn't want any sense of impropriety either. And so he says, I'm going to go. You can send people. They're sending people we are going to have a group of people going so that nobody will think anybody has got their finger in the till. Okay, there won't be any Judas in this group. And so he was very careful about these things. But um, time and again, these letters and the other books of the New Testament refer to and rely on one another. And I've said this before, if you take out any one of the If you say, well, that's not inspired or I'm going to take this out, the entire Bible unfolds, especially in regards to the New Testament. You've got um, people will say that, uh, you know, maybe this wasn't written by Paul or maybe this wasn't written by Luke. But every single thing weaves together into a way where if you take out this, then you're going to lose this. And if you take it, if you say that Paul doesn't count, well, guess what? Peter doesn't count because Peter speaks of Paul and his writings being on the same level of Scripture, right? And if you say Peter doesn't count, well, guess what? Mark was his, um, we'd call him his protege. So now you have a problem with the book of Mark. And then because you have a problem with the book of Mark, you got a problem with the book of Matthew and Luke because they're synoptic gospels, right? And so you got to throw them out. And then of course, the book of Acts is no good because it was written by the same person that wrote the book of Luke. And eventually the entire Bible falls apart. It's either a united whole. God is in charge and he has confirmed his word in its entirety Or we're pursuing the wrong thing and we are not pursuing the wrong thing there's no need to say i wonder if the bible is the word of god you just simply open it up start reading it and it confirms itself time and time and time again now one thing it does mom remembers when i first met the lord and i would come across a verse that i had no idea no idea what it would meant and i you know i'd read the bible once a week and something new would come out every time and i'd call mom and i'd say you know what i i asked the lord what does this mean and I heard somebody preach on that particular verse, which I've never heard before or since in all of these years that day. And that happened so many times that I just stopped even worrying about it. You know, the Lord is if, if you ask him to confirm the word to you, he's going to do it. If you really want to know his word, he is going to confirm it to you. No doubt about it. So um, there's ample evidence that they are harmoniously tied together as a body of work, which is consistent and reliable. We need not worry about those false scholars who attempt to interject doubt into the reliability and authority of Scripture. Cambridge is famous for that. I brought them up in sermons in the past. I'm going to bring them up in sermons in the next 10 weeks. I've already typed the sermons. Cambridge loves to find fault with the Bible. And in the end... It's they who have water all over their face because what they say is completely not in tune with what's going on in other passages, which confirm what they're trying to deny in that particular passage. And I'm talking about the Old Testament there, <clears throat> but they're famous for it. It's like they they struggle to make themselves look smart by looking God looks, making God look stupid. It it, it never works. But you know they are the ones that have to stand before the Lord and and uh, uh, explain why they. Found or supposedly found fault in his word, but uh, we need not worry about those false scholars and uh, or their attempt to interject out into the reliability and authority of Scripture. Having noted that, the verse being analyzed begins with four. All right, let me read that again. It says, verse twenty-six. For it pleased those from Macedonia and achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Okay, begins with four. It is based on what he had just said to the Romans in the previous verse, which was, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. His reason for going to minister there is explained now here. And that reason is that it pleased those from Macedonia and achaia to make their contribution. And we went through those verses in 1 and 2 Corinthians where it's quite clear that everything is being written about the same time frame and these things are all interconnected. So this was a voluntary and even a joyous offering for the needy saints in Jerusalem. The Macedonians are referred to in the verses from 1 and 2 Corinthians, which I read to you. Achaia is the area where Corinth was the capital. These willing people had prepared an offering which Paul would personally oversee in order to ensure that it arrived in Jerusalem for its intended recipients. Paul took great care in ensuring that everything concerning the money was handled openly and honestly during this process. And as I said, we can go to the book of Acts. We can go to one and two Corinthians and we can see the, the steps that he took so that nobody would say there's a problem with this. And, you know, Paul's pocketing something or or the guy that's going with Paul, they're making a deal. Absolutely not. It was presented openly to the saints down in Jerusalem. Everything was above board. So there you go with that. Um, these willing people had prepared an offering which paul would personally oversee in order to ensure that it arrived in jerusalem for its intended recipients paul took great care in ensuring that everything concerning the the money was handled openly and honestly during the process okay i read that once but i read it again life application again today as is the case throughout scripture the bible confirms itself internally and it ensures Us to us that it is a unified whole given to us from the wisdom of God and is breathed out by his Holy Spirit through his chosen prophets and apostles. And while we're speaking about the Holy Spirit here, Sunday sermon, just in case you uh, want a foretaste of it, it's called the priestly prayer. It's four verses long, but I am going to give something in advance of that. And there's a reason why The high priestly prayer talks about uh, the blessing upon Israel. But with contained within that is an implicit hint of the Trinity. And so our first uh, half of the entire sermon is going to be speaking about the Trinity, the nature of the Trinity, who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who God the Holy Spirit is. So if you have any questions about the Trinity, it's not a deep, it's not a, a deep thing like we've done in some of our Bible studies. But you will learn some things that you might not have heard before. So I hope you'll uh, uh, join us Sunday morning for that. Because uh, after that, then we'll talk about the high priestly prayer. And there's just there's this thing that's hidden in there that's just so wonderful. It's just so marvelous. So there you go. So you're
1: going to go to John 17 after
0: that. John 17 after what? After the priestly prayer. John's oh no 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 we'll be in that for ten months. John 17 is boy we they would take us ten months to preach through that now, passage.
1: I, just, I want you to read Second uh, Corinthians nine seven.
0: Two Corinthians nine yeah. verse seven. Hold on one second here. Two Corinthians. 9 verse 7 says so yes this is the one that i was thinking of thank you so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver absolutely read that again let each one give as he purposes in his heart is there any any hint of you should give this amount in that verse? Well, I'm reading it, under compulsion. Or yeah, or without compulsion. That's right. right. All right. Yeah, I'll read it again. He said without compulsion, yeah. not gr- grudgingly or of necessity. Under compulsion. Yeah, under compulsion, Your says. So is there anything about a set amount? Is there anything about a certain day of the week? Is there anything about... Um, uh, meeting a certain need that uh, we're supposed to lay the burden on the church and say that we have to buy a new uh, band for the church and you all need to pony up, doesn't say anything about that. If the pastor gets up there and says, we need a new van and I'm trusting that uh, the congregation will do what they feel is best, that's it. Leave it right there. There's no need to go further with anything. When you force people, you are violating this verse, right? That was the one I was thinking of, and I'm just— Very good. Thank you. I'm glad that you brought that out. I, people are so— have it so beaten into them over the years that tithing is required that, uh, you know, I, once in a while, I got one about a week ago, I'll get an email from somebody and they will say, I I am freed after all of these years, I am freed after watching your sermon on tithing. And it wasn't even really a sermon on tithing. It was a sermon on, you know, uh, but I threw in the concept of tithing through the whole thing, which I'll do again a couple more times before we get out of Deuteronomy. But, they, you know, people just, they feel a burden on him like I'm, I'm cheating God if I don't do this when in fact there's nothing in the New Testament that says you have to do these things if you want to give 10% give 10% if you want to give 50% give 50% if you can afford it great if you can't don't be burdened by it you should never feel pressured and I'm not just talking to you here I'm talking to anybody that listens to this you should never feel pressured to give for anything in religious matters ever because if you are you're not giving out of faith and that is what you're supposed to give out of. everything you do. If it is not a faith, it is a, it is sin. That's right. Anything that's not a faith is sin. And so if you are giving under compulsion and you are giving because of that, you are actually sinning. You're not honoring God because you're giving, because you're scared of God instead of having faith in him and his provision for you or whatever other reason.
1: Charlie, I've known a lot of people that
0: stop. stop going to church. Listen, Sean Hannity, I was listening to him one day after Bible class one day, and he said, He grew up a Catholic, and he said, you know, I'm so tired of the sex and the perversion. He said, I started going to Protestant churches, and he said, all I hear is tithing. He says, I'm so sick of that, I stopped going to church. Well, I emailed him, and he never responded, but I said, they are absolutely telling you the wrong thing. The Bible does not, in any way, shape, or form, hint on that precept in the New Testament, ever. The only time that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament is when Jesus Says it to the Pharisees, under the law, you tithe a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin. And then in the book of Hebrews, it mentions tithing in regard to the Levites. Making a point about who? Begins with an M and it ends with a elchizedek Okay, right. Making a point about Melchizedek. So that's the only time he does, which yes, in relation to who Christ is. But other than that, it's not in any way sh- saying that tithing is required. He's just making an Old Testament point. a theological point about the coming of Christ. Okay. So um it, it, Charlie, it, Yes.
1: You said that Sean didn't answer. President Trump doesn't answer all
0: of his. Right.
1: In fact, my granddaughter rooms with the girl who answers a lot of letters for the president.
0: Oh good. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that nice? So
1: so I learned something last night. She called me because it was my birthday and, huh? and, and she and she says uh, a lot of people ask him to come to dinner, Papa. So, you, you know, you don't have to feel bad.
0: Oh, no. He must get 5,000 <laughs> invitations a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, more. It, it, to think that he even sees any correspondence is, yeah. That's He's exactly right. Who
1: should be appreciated for himself.
0: For or himself his, that's son. that's right. We just appreciate well, him. Well, somebody and, writes for Sean, too. They, they, oh, they, everybody. They, that's yeah, right. It's yeah. it's very rare. Listen. They don't just write for the preacher an answer letter. They write their sermons for the preachers. Most big-name preachers don't write their own sermons. They have a group of people. We had one right at, uh, I won't say which church, but you know the one I'm thinking of. That He wanted me to write his sermons for him. He says, that's what they do. And I said, I'm not writing your sermons. If I'm going to write a sermon, I'm going to give that sermon. That's all there is to it. So, you know, most of these pastors do not write their own sermons. And when you hear a sermon, I would say 95% of them that I have heard are sermons that you buy either from sermon sites online, or you buy it in a book and then you just fill in your own information. Almost all sermons that you hear out there are just things that people have adapted from something they bought somewhere. They don't, they don't. Yeah, you know, but that's the way it is. I mean, it, pastors have got a lot of work to do. They, to them, sermon uh, preaching is actually a very small part of their portion of their ministry, and so they either have somebody else do their sermons for them. You think David Jeremiah writes his own sermons? Not on your life. He gets up there and he gives them. He might write a part of it or he might amend it, but he ain't writing it. It's just the way it is. Now, I make Monday people. I don't want them to call me. I don't want them to email me. I don't want anything from people on Monday because I am writing my sermon. I start at 4 o'clock in the morning, and whenever the day is done, it's done. Usually between 5 and 7 o'clock, I'm done with the sermon. I said to a guy, I was talking to him on the phone yesterday, And I actually, because I was so tired, you'd have to think of something, an introduction for a sermon after you've done all the work, right? Well, I used the day's sermon typing for my introduction on Monday's sermon. It took me two, almost two and a half hours to do the first verse of chapter 11 of Numbers. Two and a half hours. I thought, I've got like 20 more verses to go through, and it's going to be Wednesday before I finish this. It did go quicker, but that first verse almost killed me. So there you go. But most people don't do that. They, and I'm not belittling them. They've got a lot of responsibility. They've got a lot of work. And they have to set their priorities. My priority is this word. And that's why on Monday, please don't call me. Yes, go ahead.
1: Harold Wilmington, who died this week from Liberty, he was in charge of the Home Bible Institute. Right. The, the teaching. He came to uh, uh, Thomas Road, and he said it bothered him that Jerry would preach his material. And not say that Harold gave me this.
0: That's right. Uh, he yeah, said, he got his material, yeah, Jerry Falwell, from he, somebody else. And he
1: said it took me probably two years to understand that I was in support of him along with four other guys. Can you that imagine
0: that? that? Yeah. But Can you imagine? That's, you that's, that's, that's just, just the way I'm it is. That's
1: what you said. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> we had, out uh, of grace, was, uh, somebody told me that they had a, a visiting pastor come in and preached Word for word, another pastor uh, oh, a sermon no. that somebody else had given oh, yeah. a couple of weeks earlier. So, and was that you that told me that? Somebody told me that, and I was he like, "Did that all the time." Oh, okay. So you were there then. You know. Okay. All right. Anyway, we'll go on with that. But th- this is not the exception. This is no. the norm. Yeah. This is the norm. Anyway, well, don't say it's awful because, like I say, they've got a lot of work to do. Something has to give. But to me, the word doesn't give. Something else will give. Okay, but not the word You're Monday it's what it's your sleep that well, well yeah the sleep gives I got to tell you what but on Monday morning uh, Hedico came in she knows this on Monday night after I'm sermon typing I usually don't make it up the stairs I just go lay on the couch and fall right to sleep whenever I'm done I just I, I just lay down that's it I never get and she's out there walking dogs and there's noise doesn't bother me. I am completely wow. out Mondays are brutal but it's wonderful too I mean it's the word of God let's go on to number number uh, 27 here um, oh Sunday. Be here for the sermon. I just hope you'll enjoy it. You know, if here's what happened. Here's why I'm so excited about it. It's because I actually typed all of Numbers chapter 6 in one sermon, and it was way too long. And I thought, I just can't do this. And so I fretted over it, and I fretted over it. And three weeks ago, I thought, I've got to divide it into two sermons. And so I did. And so uh, uh, that's and I'm glad I did, because it it fits really beautifully with the priestly prayer. When you hear those four verses at the end of the sermon, you're going to say, I understand why he did that anyway. Or maybe you'll say that was the worst sermon I ever heard and (laughs) never watch again. Whatever. Okay, 1527. Um, It pleased them indeed. And they are debtors. For it is the Gentiles, for if the Gentiles, oh, this is a verse I quoted a minute ago. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to to minister to them in material things. Speaking of the Gentiles ministering for the Jews, the saints down in Jerusalem. Let me read that again so you understand. And I can't breathe well today, so I'm sorry about this. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, Their duty also to minister, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Okay, referring to the donation from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, Paul says that it pleased them indeed to give this offering. And then he explains that in fact they are debtors in this regard. The offering is something that although not compulsory was still an obligation. In his explanation, he states that if the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual things, then they have a responsibility to the ones who imparted them. This responsibility and duty is also to minister to them in material things. (laughs) Everybody got that spiritual things you get out of the church? So you take your material things and help the people that are in the church with material things. I'm not talking about the spiritual word. I'm talking about whatever church you attend. That's how the church stays in Businesses by having people help in the material things because you're receiving spiritual benefit from them Okay, there was a great need in Jerusalem where the Jewish Saints resided Paul felt that resolving that need was something incumbent on the Gentiles who had received their spiritual heritage from those Jews Who had brought the message to them this sentiment is seen actually in Galatians chapter 2 He says this in verses 2 through 7, but on the contrary <laughs> When they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, this is Paul writing, the uncircumcised is the Gentiles, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, thinking about this, Paul was what? Was he a Gentile? No, he was a Jew, so he actually could be writing about himself. You should be supporting me. But once again, we see Paul always makes himself an exception in his writings. When he went to a new location, he got out his tent making kit and he sat down and started making tents. He would sell them and that would be where he would get his money from. He did take money from churches at times, but at other times he wouldn't take it from them to make a point to them. So he was very good about this and uh, he, he was a, a staunch worker for the gospel, regardless of whether he was being paid or not. He would rather be deprived than have somebody think that he was cheating them. So here we go. The poor in this passage from Galatians included those in Jerusalem, from whom the spiritual heritage first came. Paul notes that they are debtors to them, but it isn't Paul's way of subordinating them in a heavy-handed manner. Rather, it is acknowledging what is right and proper. We can tell this for certain because he spoke of himself in exactly this way in Romans 1 14. He said, "I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians." both to wise and to the unwise. So he's not being heavy handed. He's just saying that this is the right thing to do. Now, I will say this, and this is going to ruffle somebody that watches, uh, you know, sermons or whatever that we do here. But I often hear the verse quoted that we're looking at right now. Let me read it again. We're in that 27. It pleased them indeed they are debtors for if the Gentiles have partaken of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them and material things. And I hear that today, all the time being applied to Christians supposed to be supporting the Jews, okay? I hear that all the time, that we are supposed to be supporting the Jews. Listen, their spiritual heritage ended 2,000 years ago, okay? It became a Gentile-led church age, and now the Jews are coming back in, and it is actually the Gentiles who have given them 2,000 years of theological knowledge, understanding, contemplation, and commentary to get them to the point where the blinders are coming off. So i would say that the roles are actually reversed in this there's the jews who should be ministering to the churches and in fact they do because they come to churches they're saved right they find uh jesus and then they in turn bless the churches by giving them whatever they make okay i'm not trying to say that the jews don't deserve anything i'm just saying that the, if you look at it logically using this verse to put pressure on christians to give to jewish causes is inappropriate at best that is inappropriate. They have benefited from our spiritual heritage, which once we benefited from theirs, there was the old covenant, there was the coming of Christ, there was the people in Jerusalem who started to get that word out more by Paul than anybody else. Because all the others, as it says in the verse we just read from Galatians, they ministered not to the Gentiles at all. They ministered to the Jews. So actually, it's pretty limited to Barnabas and Paul to get the word out to all the Gentile world. But now remember this. There was low theology for the most part at the beginning, except what was written in the Bible, which has taken, as I said, it's taken 2,000 years, and we're still fighting over issues in the Bible, but over the years, the theology is being developed more and more. That's called systematic theology. John Calvin wrote a book on systematic theology. R.C. Sproul wrote a book on systematic theology. Charles Ryrie did. Everybody writes their books on systematic theology. That's a system. How do all of the parts fit together into one? Okay, And from there, They have their developed theology, but they didn't just write it on their own. They went to commentaries of other people who built on commentaries from other people who built on the church fathers who built on the the letters themselves, okay? So this is not something that has taken just a couple of minutes to put together. And some of the conclusions that I've come to in the book of Hebrews, especially in what's coming in the next 10 days, I didn't get from any of the commentaries that I read every day. I usually read um, Charles Ellicott, Vincent's Word Studies, Cambridge Scholars, Meyer's New Testament. Um, uh, let's see here. Albert Barnes. I read, um, uh, there's five I or six Gill. others. The Pulpit Commentary. What's that?
1: You said you Bill.
0: John Gill, yes. Um, also, Jameson Fawcett Brown, Pulpit Commentary. Um, uh, Bengal. And sometimes I will go to Adam Clark, but he's on a different page and it's just a little bit too much work to flip back and forth. But I read all of their commentaries and some of them will be a page or two long of real small writing, right? So, but I want to make sure that I'm not just taking things and giving an inappropriate answer before I type my commentary. And in all of those in the past or in the coming 10 days, many of them are things that I just disagree with all of them on. So when you're reading my commentary, you're going to get something that maybe you shouldn't be listening to. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you have to decide that. But I feel convinced because I wouldn't put it down if I didn't feel convinced about it. I wouldn't make something up and say, well, here, I'm going to propose something new and bold just simply because it's different than everybody else. And when I do, if you remember with the book of Jonah, when I came to the last, um, I said, this isn't going to match anything you've ever read before. And I don't want you to just sink the knowledge in and say, that's it, because I could be wrong. Nobody else has come up with this, and I, I, I'm i a little even fearful to give it because I'm the one that's accountable to the Lord. But I felt confident because I wouldn't have otherwise given that last sermon on Esther or Jonah. I wouldn't have done it. But you have to decide that, and you have to look at other commentaries and make your own conclusions. That's why we go to Bible class, and that's why we go home and then check what the guy in the Bible class said. So, It's just my thing is that if I say something I think is unique and nobody has ever said it before, I always worry about it, but I believe it or I wouldn't say it. So, you know, may the Lord either bless it or forgive me. And that's all I can say about that. Um, So um, let's see here. The poor in this passage from Galatians, and I know I've read this, but I'm going to read it again, included those in Jerusalem from whom the spiritual heritage first came. Paul notes that they are debtors to them. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go on to the next paragraph now. Paul felt himself a debtor, and he worked tirelessly to pay the debt he felt he owed. Remember, he persecuted the, the saints, right? He had some of them put to death, and he stood there and uh, watched the coats of the first martyr, the people that stoned the first martyr, Stephen, right? He felt he had a debt. So for him to call those Gentiles who had received their spiritual heritage from the Jews in Jerusalem debtors, was in no way an attempt to lord his ministry over them. In other passages, he makes this same connection. Here are two for consideration. First, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things for you, speaking to the Gentiles, it is, is it a great thing we reap your material things? That's Paul saying basically what he said in Galatians 6, six about taking care of the people that you uh give them material blessings because they've blessed you spiritually that's kind of the same thought that he says there okay and then oh i've read you galatians 6 6 already so i don't need to read it again but those two verses really complement each other somebody that gives you spiritual instruction you take care of them their material needs okay so um life application from whom do you receive your spiritual things who is your teacher in the word of god and in christian living according to paul there is a debt which is to be paid in these matters take time to remember them one in prayer two with kind words and a gracious demeanor three material things which will benefit them and for other assistance to them and their ministry okay somebody sent us something yesterday something to Hidako and i that was different than what they normally send and it was uh, I don't want to give the reason because then other people will start saying well I need to do that too but um, they know who they are I can just say their first initials M&D and, and we're very thankful for it because they thought of something that I didn't even know I, if I say anymore you're gonna know what I'm talking about going to be like oh we gotta do that too now it just I, it, it was very nice and I was very appreciative of that and Hedico was too and she read the letters and then she put them down and she says don't put these away I want to read these again when I have my glasses so she wants to get the fullness so they're on my desk waiting for you but um, uh anyway there you go I mean just people what's
1: the fourth thing you said you said prayer kind words material things
0: and... and the fourth one is other assistance to them in their ministry like come in here and clean the uh kitchen sink if you want that'll be fine I'm kidding anyway but Burke you know what here I I come in here every every Thursday for for five years now five years in one week and I vacuum the floor for about three years and then burke came up to me one day and he says you know what i want to come in early and start vacuuming the floor and it was hard for me to give that up i had been doing it so you know but he's he's not missed i think you not come in one bible study in the past two years he's done it every single week one time he called and he says i might not be there because other than that i can't remember a single time he hasn't done it so thank you burke um and you know i feel guilty not saying thank you to him every week but if i do then it's like I expect it, if you know what I mean. So I just, I I, I treat him like he's, you know. But one thing I was thinking of this morning, and I'll tell you this, there's always a bag of cans in the back of my truck, and I don't see it until Monday morning because that's when I go to the mall and I have to clean out the back of my truck, right? And I always say, What a nice guy. Thank you, Burke. Anyway, but I never tell you that because by Thursday, I forget. And had we not got into this conversation, I wouldn't remember today. So, but I I think that every Monday morning that Burke is a nice guy sometimes. Um, Okay. No, pretty much all the time. Okay. 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you, to Spain. So he's determined to go to Spain, right? All right. We're going to see what we have here. Therefore, when you see a therefore, go back and see why it's there. therefore. That's right. Therefore encompasses the thought which began in verse 22 and continued until verse 27, which I actually started this morning with 22, not realizing that that would be the case, but it's a paragraph. It's a logical place to go. So 22 through 27, based on what is stated in those verses, therefore, when I have performed this act. This is the carrying of the offering from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the needy saints in Jerusalem. He was determined to see this through personally. When the offering was placed in their hands, he will have sealed this fruit to them. Okay? Or sealed to them this fruit. That's I got dyslexia and I do that all the time. I read things backwards. Anyway, and then I look at it kind of sideways and it reads differently. I think, how did that happen? I don't know. I've never understood this. Numbers, I get them backwards all the time. That's why my bank account says that I have $500,000 and I actually have a negative 47. So anyway, um, okay, selling in this case means the completion or, yeah, sealing in this case means the completion of the act. He will have faithfully performed his promised duty and will, in essence, have sealed it with a signet ring as a king would seal a decree or a noble would seal a letter. To seal something is to secure it. This is what he is implying. Only after that did he plan to go by way of Rome to Spain. So he's making his plans, but he wants to make sure absolutely it gets down to Jerusalem and he seals his act in getting that money to these people without there being any thought of impropriety. Yes. Is
1: that the place where he... uh... They, they thought he took a Gentile into the,
0: yeah, into the that's it, where he thought he took the Ephesian. Trophimus the Ephesian
1: trophy missed the Ephesian' with him because he's
0: saying I. that's and right
1: really weak.
0: Well that, and that's right, and I think he said that in the last verse. hang on, um, uh, material things, oh anyway, um, I, verse 26 uh, to make certain contribution well, anyway, yeah, he will include them yeah. in his other writings, but yeah, I because he's writing the letter personally yeah. to Rome. But it, 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 you're right. He they thought he took a Ephesian Trophimus into the uh, the temple, and there was a big hoodoo. And then they said, "We'll pay these guys um, vows fees, and yeah. you know, take care of it that way." But it still didn't work out too well in the end. So uh, let's. But he did get to Rome, didn't he? Yeah. It was in chains, but he got there. Okay, so. Um, Let's see here. In Acts 20, verse 4, we find that Paul had a large number of people from the various churches who traveled with him. See, he gets ahead of me, and there it is. Um, at times to ensure that all was handled circumspectly and openly. Here's what he said. And so, Potter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristochus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, uh, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. The last one is the guy that... Uh, he uh, supposedly was seen in the temple with so um that's the list of people that he went down to and that's acts 24. so once again not 24 acts 20 verse 4. but once again if you see you've got romans here you've got acts there you've got it referred to in corinthians you've got it referred to in galatians you've got all these things and if you pull one out the whole thing is like you know you've got a garment that's one of those woven things and you pull it and it just keeps pulling and pulling and the thing keeps getting smaller and smaller and it just completely comes down to nothing. And here was this beautiful garment and all of a sudden there's nothing left because you've taken from the word of God, all right? And that's what these people try to do. They try to murder the word of God. They try to tear it apart and say, well, there's a contradiction here and there's a contradiction here and this doesn't fit properly. I, I think I've said this to you guys before, but I may not have. Is One of the real difficulties in the Bible is the datings between Chronicles and Kings, okay? You've got, uh, it says in the third year of this king and the seventh month, and in this one, it says in the fifth year of this king and the first month, and it's talking about the same thing. And you think, well, that's a real problem. And so people have torn apart the Bible and they said, oh my goodness, that's just absolute contradiction and there's no uh, cohesion and there's errors in the Bible and come to find out that a guy named Teeley, William, I think, Edward, Edwin, E-D-W-I, Edwin Teeley, T-H-I-T, E-L-E. Edwin Teeley. You can uh, get his book online. I think it's called The Mysterious Numbers of the uh, Kings of Judah and Jerusalem, something like that. Anyway, he does an analysis of it. And when he's done with it, I actually first saw this at your house, Tom. Remember that? When he's done with his analysis, every single date Fits perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And the reason why is because you've got different dating systems in Kings than you do in Chronicles. You've got the regnal year, which is the year of the King. You've got the um, uh, the civil year, which is the year of the, the calendar that they use, okay? And so the king dating year might be on the first of the seventh month, and the other one, the uh, the um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's not the civil calendar, and the redemption calendar, but there's another word for it. Starts in March, right? And then you've got during the dating of the kings, you've got sometimes where a king is sick or he is in his, um, remember when Hezekiah burned before the Lord and he had leprosy and he was uh, re- restricted to his house for the rest of his life? Well, guess what? He couldn't be the king then. He's That's still, the uh, uh, yeah, as uh, uh, Uzziah, King Uzziah. You know, yeah, Uzziah. Anyway, thank you for that. Anyway, so he's he is still technically the king but somebody must reign in his place. So he's the king, and so it goes by his king years, but a new king dating system comes in, and when you put them together, it comes out absolutely perfectly. This guy did his doctoral dissertation on this, and when he was done, everything matched so perfectly that if you take the the charts and graph them, and you put them together, perfection, absolute perfection. So don't worry about these people that try to diminish the word of God. It is untrue. Hey, hang on, let me get this because somebody's gonna email me and they're gonna say I couldn't find it. So I'm gonna get that for you right now. Um uh Mysterious Numbers. Miss I want to make sure that you guys have this in case you want to order it. Mysterious uh E O U S Number, Numbers uh, of uh of the, Numbers of the Hebrew Kings, Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings, and it's T-H-I-E-L-E okay look up that the mysterious numbers of the hebrew kings and you can buy it online book preview you can get it right there edwin i was right edwin r tealy and um uh okay anyway you can read it some of it online if you like it order it if you like that kind of stuff if you like detail the mysterious numbers of the hebrew kings i really think that you would enjoy it if you like that you know if if you don't like a lot of analysis and stuff you may not like it but you'll make it interesting for you and you'll find out that you your your doubts about the dating system in chronicles and kings are no longer in existence you'll feel that the lord's word is vindicated once again if you've ever had that type of doubt wonderful stuff there are no contradictions in the bible they're just us misinterpreting what the lord is saying okay or pulling things out of context and then you're going to have a pretext all right the synoptic gospels are not speaking to the church they're speaking to israel under the law When you take those two apart, you no longer have the contradictions that you would otherwise naturally have. Okay, so going on, um, uh, let's see here. Did I read? Oh, yeah. Life application on verse 1528. When we begin a task in the Lord, it is right fitting and proper to see that task through to its completion. Likewise, the effort should be done openly and without any hint of impropriety. It is incumbent on all to ensure that the name of the lord is glorified not brought to dishonor by our actions that's where the important thing is always the glory of god you think of the glory of god the name of the lord and what i is what i am doing right now going to bring him glory if not maybe you shouldn't be doing it well let's say that again drop off maybe say that sentence again okay um verse fifteen twenty nine. but i know That when I come to you I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ once again he's writing to the Romans we've been talking about all these other areas but he's not talking about going down to Jerusalem he's talking to going to Rome but I know that when I come to you I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ Paul writing to the Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit stated that he knew that he would come to Rome it was his hope that he would go to Spain but it was imparted knowledge that he would meet with the Roman church and that it would be in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. In other words, when he said he's coming to Rome, the Holy Spirit already sealed that he is going. We don't know if he actually went to Spain or not. As I said last week, there are commentaries, later commentaries that said he did go. But he wrote, I hope. That's not the Holy Spirit inspired words that he would say, I hope. But he didn't inspire thee to say, I'm going to Rome because or Spain. Because, in fact, we don't know if he did or not. But when something is written in the Bible that's going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay, if not, then there's a reason why it didn't happen. And we'll find out later through thought and contemplation why the Lord allowed that person to say that thing. And then it didn't happen after all. There's always a reason for these things. Okay, Um, in the book of Acts, it is exactly detailed from chapters 21 through 28 concerning how he finally made it to Rome. He went to Jerusalem as he anticipated, and he was subsequently arrested. Through a long and weary process, which took us almost a year to get through, just that process of him getting to Rome when we did the book of Acts, through a long and weary process, he was eventually taken in chains to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. There, still under guard in a type of house arrest, he awaited trial. This is how the book of Acts finishes out. It finishes out with 28, chapter 28, 30, and 31. I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to make a point that if you didn't watch the uh, Book of Acts uh, videos that we did, uh, it's because we didn't do the Book of Acts videos. So I think we started with like the last oh. sir, last Book of Acts. People are always saying, I can find the last one, but where's the rest of it? We didn't do it. Um, yeah, we didn't have the camera at the time. And so, uh, okay, yeah, remember, it's been a while. Um, but here's how it says in, uh, I, I said I wanted to read you 30 and 31 um I, I but I don't I, the ones I want to read you are from Isaiah, so I'm going to take you back to uh twenty five. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word through the Holy Spirit uh, um, through, spoken one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, "Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. Have a wonderful night. feel better, Freda. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Here he speaks of the hearts, the eyes, and the ears, and or the ears and the eyes, and then he turns around in a chiastic form, and he says the uh, eyes, ears, and hearts. And so he makes a little chiasm there, and then he says, Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it now when he had said these words the jews departed and had great dispute among themselves then paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of god and teaching the things which concerned the lord jesus christ with all confidence no one forbidding him so he did make it to uh, uh rome he got there in fact he preached to them he spent two years there eventually he was uh, freed Got arrested again, and that's when he was martyred in A.D. 60, is what the the records outside of the Bible tell us. But that last verse from Isaiah that I read you, let me read again, verse 27. For their hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, so that I should heal them. Well, one scholar, and I would be in agreement with him, does not put it as a possibility where it says lest they should understand what their hearts in their uh, uh, understand what their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. In fact, I think it was Bengel, the German scholar Bengel, that says that actually, if you look at the hemi stitches where he's citing from Isaiah, it actually is an affirmative statement. And so I'm going to read you the way that Bengel interprets these verses. I'm going to go one more time. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, and I will heal them. He makes an affirmative statement that they are going into punishment for the very purpose of him healing them. And he's the only scholar I know of that came to that conclusion, but I have to agree with it, is that that was God's purposes. That's what he spoke about in Romans 9 through 11. Is that, in fact, the entire purpose of them being exiled, being rejected by the Lord, being sent all over the world and punished and, and, you know, rejected by everybody that they end up in their country. It's because the Lord was doing exactly what he said he was going to do in Leviticus 26. I'm going to chase you to the ends of the earth. I'm going to scatter you till you're so few in number that there's just hardly any of you left. But the purpose is not to destroy you. It's to heal you. And so that's what he did. He followed his own rules all the way from back in Leviticus 26. He prophesied through Isaiah. And then at the end of the book of Acts, he says, and I will heal them. He's going to do it. It's going to come about. And Romans tells us that that's going to come. And then, of course, as I've shown and I'll continue to show through the book of Acts, Hebrews on the daily commentary is that Hebrews is after the church age epistles Paul's 13 letters set our doctrine and Hebrews comes after it it's showing that yes it was written to first century Jews yes there was a temple still standing but actually it's intent the intent of the book of Hebrews is for the Jews of the end times after the rapture of the church that that letter is going to be their foundation it's going to be what they need to understand The greater than of Jesus Christ so that they don't get tempted to go back to the temple worship of the future that's what the book of Hebrews is doing and it's written there after the book of the books of Paul so that they understand this is a new time that God is working in for the Jewish people it's followed by James it's followed by Peter and then Peter again okay those books right there are to instruct the Jews of the end time as to what they are to do. Yes, they're for the Jews of the first century. Yes, they're for our learning and for for our edification, but their placement in the Bible shows that they are there specifically to guide the Jews of the end times. That's what that's for. Anyway, that's confirmed right here in the the quote from Paul quoting Isaiah in the final letters of, or the final verses of the book of Acts. It's to confirm that the Jews are not out. That the church has not replaced Israel and there will be good things ahead for Israel great stuff okay let's see here so uh, we have um, the question is I just read you that um, uh, how the book finishes out in Acts the question is how could Paul's words have been fulfilled how could arrest and imprisonment be a part of the blessing of the gospel of Christ we're talking before we started today somebody in the the uh, class has got some some problems Difficult things that are happening. You know, this is breaking that's breaking. This is breaking How can that be part of the purposes of God? Well, guess what it is? It doesn't seem like it is, you know, we look at things from our perspective We look at bad things that happen from our perspective. And we say I just I can't see how this is gonna work out But in fact everything works out as it should it's just that we have to live through the stress of it We don't see the end the Lord does and so what we need to do is to trust that he's there waiting for us and he already knew that we would be in that situation That's the important thing to remember when you're going through these difficult times. The Lord is there waiting to meet us at the end of those things. And you'll say, you know, that worked out pretty well after all. Okay. Um, How could it have been fulfilled? How could his arrest and imprisonment be a part of the blessing of the gospel of Christ? The answer is that suffering for the gospel is one of the greatest blessings of all. On several occasions. Uh, On several occasions, Paul speaks of the honor of such affliction. In writing to his young protege, Timothy, he gave this note of encouragement. Let me read this to you from 2 Timothy. Hebrews, I went too far. Let's see here. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Then we have chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I'll take you to verse 9 too. Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. His purpose is being affected in your troubles, okay? Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God is in the infinite realm. He's not part of time, space, or matter. He created it for our benefit. He's outside of it. He already knows everything that's ever going to happen. And we are in the stream going forward, and we're wondering how it's going to work out. Guess what? I'll take you there, and I'll tell you how it's going to work out. It says right here. This is how it's going to work out. This is for anybody that's having a tough time today, okay? It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads there shall be no night there they shall need no lamp nor light of the sun for the lord god gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever and then i'll take you to the last sentence i'm going to skip the middle part of revelation 22, it says there the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen that's how it's gonna work out everything that is bad that's happening right now has a good end just have faith in that if you're having a bad day okay in fact if you're having a bad day go read the 42nd Psalm and then read Revelation 22 and you'll have a better day okay um, let's see here and he wasn't just writing this to Timothy about his sufferings He wasn't just writing this as a mark of piety He himself had suffered greatly for the gospel, including several imprisonments. Two examples of note make a direct connection between his chains and the advancement of the gospel. If he didn't have the chains, the gospel would not have been advanced. Having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear is one of the things he said. Let me take you to Philippians 1, where he says, hang on here. Philippians 1, he says there, um, verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that these things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So good came out of bad. And guess what? I've said this before. I'll say it again 10 more times. Roman prisons were dirty, stinky, infected places. There were rats crawling around. They weren't, you know, they didn't have cable TV and soft mats, right? Or the itchy blankets that they give at. They didn't have any of those things. You were stuck in a really disgusting place, okay? And there he is bragging, or not bragging, boasting about the glory which is happening because of his chains. And then he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. i take you here. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained, right? It's free. When he's in chains, the word of God is actually freer than when he is free. It may sound like a a whatever the word is, but it's not. Okay, it's irony, but it's not a, a contradiction at all okay so um, the astonishing thing isn't that paul made it to rome in chains when he was anticipating doing so in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of christ what is beyond belief is that we would miss the fact that our suffering is often god's way of being glorified and his way of advancing the gospel our suffering for christ is a grant and an honor not a mark of despair or of disgrace should it come Remember the words of Paul in Philippians 1, 29, and 30. Let me take it back to 1 Philippians again. 1, 29, and 30. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Have you ever heard Joel steam preach on that? Probably never heard Joel steam preach, but that's okay. Um, verse 30. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. You're going to suffer for the gospel. Don't worry about it in the process. Okay. So, uh, yeah, what would happen to Joel Osteen's church if he went in on Sunday and started preaching that word to people? You're going to be suffering probably this week, and it may not be good. 40,000-member church will be down to none really quickly. They'll find another church to go to. Okay. That's why they're in that church. And I'm not trying to belittle them. They're just marginal or weak Christians that need better theology. And some of them may not be Christians at all, because you really don't get a gospel message quite often in Joel, or I don't think ever. I've ever heard him give the gospel. I mean, not that I listened to him. I turned it on when I had a TV, and if he was there, I'd listen for five minutes and turn it off. Because he never said, Jesus, it was always, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. Well, that's not what it says right here, unless you take imprisonment and suffering as a blessing. And if you do, then, yeah, it's true. Okay. How many here have been sick this year? Anybody? okay lots of hands up i know somebody in the back with his hand not up but i know he's been sick too okay right we've all had troubles this year hey we're all the better for it if you ask me if everything what's that international
1: day of prayer for the persecuted church yes first part
0: of november, november first part of november the international oh good you got those we'll hand those out we'll leave are those for the church yes. we'll make sure we put them out here good good thank you all right praying for the intern persecuted and then freda who left you know she said she had to leave early um she uh will often send me prayer um pray for this uh country today it's through the bible ttb ministries they have a we're praying for this uh country today and whenever it's japan she always sends it to me because oh, wow. yeah so anyway because we have some connection to japan in my family i'm trying to remember it right now but okay anyway um we'll go on let's see here um i read you uh just now one timothy where where were my notes where are oh philippians one twenty nine thirty. How easy it is to forget these things as we sit in latte-filled churches with cozy chairs and noisy bands to drown out the week's troubles, right? The Bible and the gospel message turns the world upside down concerning what is expected and what is just, pure, and noble. The soundness of the Bible is demonstrated in the unexpected. When we ponder the stories that are written in Acts and then compare them to the words of the epistles, we can note how things were anticipated and how they actually occurred then these two would otherwise be at complete odds with each other unless they occurred by the divine hand of God. As Godet says, would a forger of this epistle in the second century have drawn a picture of the future so opposite to the way in which things really came to pass? Absolutely not. Nobody would have written the book the way they wrote it. They would have taken the Bible and read it in a complete, written it in a completely different way. We would not see the faults of King David as they are written. We wouldn't see all of the you know, as I said, it might have been here. I said it to somebody in the past week or two is that um, I was reading one time a, a Jewish guy was writing about the Bible and he says, it has to be true. It's so bizarre. It makes no sense. And yet we've stuck to this word for 3,500 years. It must be true. Well, he just doesn't see Jesus. Once he sees Jesus, then it's no longer bizarre. All of these things that seem obscure, like remember the Nazarite vow was that last week or two weeks ago. Anyway. It, it seems like weird. And then when you, you understand it, all of a sudden you see, oh, this points to us in Christ, right? Amazing stuff. Amazing. Okay, so here we go. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, But as long as they keep looking for the answer in themselves, they're never going to see it. They're going to say, this is a bizarre book and it doesn't make any sense. But they at least acknowledge that it's the word of God. Some of them do, at least. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, oh, boy, I just my heart is for Israel. It really is. Last prayer every night. I just wish that they would open their eyes and see the glory of what Christ has done. Um, Life application. If you are expecting an easy life in Christ, then you probably aren't expecting to do very much for Christ. Okay? There you go. Easy life in Christ means you got to get out and do nothing. And it probably won't be easy anyway. Okay, 1530. Because if you're not doing what the Word says, then you're going to fall apart in one way or another anyway. So either way, you're going to have a crummy life if you're in Christ. If you don't heed the word, and if you do heed the word, it may be crummy anyway, but it's good crummy, not bad crummy, okay? In the end, the Lord is working out your life perfectly if you are being obedient to the Lord, even if it's difficult, okay? Even if it's difficult, he is going to get you through it. All right, 1530. Let's see here. I hope everything I said just now made sense because I said crummy a couple times, not in any way <laughs> intending that what he does for us is crummy. It is not. It is perfect, but we might think it is. Okay, um, 1530 oh we're almost done with 16. now i beg you brethren through the lord jesus christ and through the love of the spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to god for me all right let's see what we have here between two thoughts which reflect his desire to come to rome which is verses 29 and 32 paul stops and abruptly, stops abruptly, and requests prayers to God for him. This shows an extreme concern about his trip to Jerusalem, which is resulting in no little consternation. He seems to know that things could go badly down there, and he indicates as much explicitly in the following verse. And because of this tenuous situation, he now begs the brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, to take action. The wording here can be interpreted in a variety of ways, such as for, through, or by. If it is for, then it is speaking of the honor of the Lord and the sanctity of his name. Through would indicate that the prayers were to be submitted to God through Jesus Christ as our great priest. That would be great high priest. That would be Hebrews 4.14. The mediator between God and man. That would be 1 Timothy two five. Okay, either way. Paul is invoking the name of Christ in the process of prayers for safety. Do you get what I just said? The Greek article can be translated one of different ways. And so the translator, your Bible may say through Jesus Christ. Some may say by Jesus Christ and some may say for. Okay. And the different preposition or is that a preposition? Yes. Is chosen by the translator because they think that is what Paul is saying. Okay. And in fact, it may not be what Paul is saying. It may be another translator is better. Getting captivated by a single translation is bad policy. Unless you have a complete understanding of everything in the Bible and you can weave it together perfectly, which nobody can, then it's not good policy to stick to one translation of the Bible. Okay, because as they say in the preface to the King James Version, it may be one and not another. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let's see. Um Either way, Paul is invoking the name of Christ in the process of prayers for safety. In addition to this, he also requested those prayers to be made through the love of the Spirit. Again, a couple possibilities and meaning exist here. One is speaking of the love which the Spirit has endowed in the believer, which should certainly be the case in those who join in prayer, right? Okay. Or he could mean the love which the Spirit feels toward the believer, just as the Father and the Son love those who have been saved by the blood of Christ. Okay? In either way, the Spirit, like Christ Jesus, is to be invoked in the prayers. As often occurs, this is another implicit hint at the Trinity. Trinity. Thank you. Sunday, be here. Where Jesus, the Spirit, and God are all named in one verse, okay? We see that in Paul's writings. You'll see one of them, at least one on Sunday, okay? You'll see other hints. I'm not going to get real long, and as I said, the whole sermon is shorter than most sermons, but I'm going to go through five points instead of I usually go through two or at most three points. I go through five this time, because I'm going to break that just very quickly for you, and uh, uh, we'll get to the final verses and do those. But I just wanted to give people a brush stroke of the Trinity, how you can feel, you know, secure in that.
1: Second okay. Corinthians, the last verse.
0: Yes, to, I think that's the one that I quote in the sermon on Sunday. Have you got it in front of you? Oh, yes. Read it real loud. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it.
1: The love of God, fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all.
0: That's right. So there you go. That's the one I'll quote on Sunday. So now I don't need to give Sunday sermon. and <laughs> Everybody stay home. Okay, let's see here. Um, let's see. Uh, it is through and to this Godhead that he now asks those in Rome to strive together with him in prayers to God for his mission to Jerusalem. The word for strive together with is used only this once in the whole New New Testament. It speaks of wrestling or agonizing together or sharing in a contest. This is what Paul is requesting, an honest struggling in prayer for the sake of his coming dealings in Jerusalem. Throughout his writings, Paul holds the process and power of prayer in the very highest esteem, And he acts And he notes that when it is conducted in a group manner, it is of great weight before God. This is noted, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a great verse to remember because when you understand that he says this, then you can understand the power, power of collective prayer. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the gift granted to us through many he's asking for many to come together collectively to pray and he it, it, the implication is that it's more effective than the prayers of a single person why that is i don't know but the lord does he responds to prayers even though he's outside of time he has no change and i've said this before and somebody actually emailed me and agreed with it and i was so happy because i say things and this is my thought you know but i've said that I am certain of this. God is outside of time. He is outside time. He is not in our current time. He created it for our benefit, and we're in this time going forward. But if I was to pray for, say, King David, or if I was to pray for Paul, my prayer would have an effect on their ministry. And that would be factored into what we're reading right now. I don't know how that would work, but I am certain that that is the case, because God is outside of time, and I am praying to him outside of time. If I didn't make that prayer then it would not have been a part of what David or Paul was doing in our present time or in relation to our present time.
1: time?
0: In other words, if I pray for somebody because God is outside of time, I'm praying for David's uh life I'm certain that God would have taken that into effect or into consideration. He would have known already, and it would have been a part of that. I'm not telling you to do that. That's not the point that I'm making. I'm not asking anybody to pray for anybody that's dead or anything that's happened in the past. That's not the point. The point is that God is outside of time, and when I pray to him, it is something that he is receiving in that state. And so whatever I pray for is going to be effective in the purpose that God intends. OK, and when many people pray, how it works, I don't know. But when many people pray, there's a greater effect right out of what did I say? One Corinthians, uh, uh, two Corinthians, one verse 11. It's right there. He said it and therefore it must be true. I don't know how those things work and I'm not asking you, please don't say Charlie Garrett said to pray for the dead or anything like that. no. that's not what I am doing. OK, somebody will always take your words and twist them out of the context in what you're trying to say. OK, I don't want that. I'm just trying to say that God is outside of time. When we pray to him, what we pray for is received by him. And it doesn't matter when it is. If I pray for my great-great-grandchildren that haven't been born, do people do that? My my grandchild isn't born because I'm going to be dead in three months and he's coming in eight months. You pray for them. Do you think God doesn't hear that? Well, what's the difference? Okay, there you go. Yes.
1: Scripture, I don't know where it is, but I'm sure one of y'all does. Uh... Before they call to me, I will
0: answer before they call to me. I will answer them. Absolutely right. That is I don't know where that is either. I Should can I pull it out here.
1: That's
0: yeah, I, I think it's Jeremiah, too. But I, anyway, that's right. Before I call to them, he already knows. He knows every single thing on our heart. Don't make a doctrine out of that. I'm just making a point. Okay, there's a difference between the two life application. Is there an important, we're not going to do it. I thought we were going to get the next couple verses done and be done with the chapter. It ain't going to happen. Anyway, um, is there an important matter ahead of you or someone you fellowship with? Make an effort to join together with them in prayer concerning it. That's why we pray for our president. That's why we pray for our elections is because there has to be our communication with the Lord on the things that we desire. We can't just neglect that. Okay,
1: 40
0: 40 days for life, absolutely come together in prayer when you do remember that your prayers to God are to be submitted through Jesus Christ and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to God. Our Heavenly Father is pleased to receive such prayers and to respond to them according to our needs and in accordance with his perfect will. Okay, 1531. Paul just, do we have time? Yes, I've got five more minutes. We'll get one more verse done. Sorry, we can't finish 15 this week. Um, I looked about 20 minutes ago and said, oh, we got it. 1531, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Okay, Paul just previously stated, now I beg you, brethren, that through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This then sets up what continues here in verse 31. He is asking for these prayers so that he may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Before being called by Christ, he was the persecutor of the church. He was given letters to arrest those who followed in this new faith, and he was even in attendance at the stoning of Stephan, Christianity's first recorded martyr. His standing in Judaism was well known, and he was a Pharisee who had progressed beyond many around him. But with his conversion, all of that was over. Those Jews whom he once fellowship with would have considered him as an apostate from the faith and would certainly intend him harm. And we saw that in the book of Acts very clearly. This is one reason he requested such fervent prayer. Along with this, even the believing Jews may have considered Paul a rogue. He was out ministering to the Gentiles, and in acts twenty one twenty through twenty five rumors had spread that he was teaching all the Jews who were among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. Because of this, even those Jews who had accepted Christ were most assuredly wary of him. In order to alleviate such concerns, he had taken a vow under the Old Testament Nazarite system and was intended to complete the customs associated with that vow when he arrived in Jerusalem. This would help dispel the notion that he had rejected his roots or that he would speak contrary to the customs of the Jewish people. Now, people will use that verse and uh, the verses from Acts to say, see, Paul stayed a Jew and he said all Jews are to stay Jews. And that they take it to an unintended extreme. What he was saying about circumcision is that circumcision without circumcision of the heart is deadly. And for the Gentiles, there's no need to be circumcised. He never told a Jew to not be circumcised because that was a sign of being a Jew. Okay, so it's not that he was holding to the law of Moses. It was holding to the customs of the Jews. There's a difference between the two. The law is annulled. It is over. It is obsolete. It is nailed to the cross. So people take those verses and they run and they say, you're the one that's in the wrong. We have to be obedient. I, well, I won't say it, but it was a wonderful email I got yesterday from somebody about that issue. Okay, we'll go on. Got to get this done because we've got two more minutes. Um, but in this verse, along with what has been noted so far is another reason for his requesting of prayers. It is that, as he says, my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Because Paul was chosen as the apostle to the Gentiles, and because he had been slandered among his people, the saints in Jerusalem might very well not accept his offering to them. He also might not be sure if they would consider charity from the Gentiles as an acceptable means of support. Further, even if they accepted what Gentiles offered, they may not receive it because of Paul's position. These things probably weighed heavy on him as he prepared to depart for Jerusalem. It should be noted that even today, 2,000 years later, old habits die hard within the body are many who are weak in the faith. We talked about that all through chapter 14 and here in chapter 15 to some extent because of a lack of proper upbringing in Christ or because they carried a lot of baggage along when they came to Christ. All people are at different levels of maturity and all people are prone to different types of failings and because of this. What may be perfectly acceptable acceptable to one may be shunned by another. We need to be emphatic with those who have limitations which differ from us. Empathetic, not emphatic. We need to be empathetic with those who have limitations which differ from us. And we have a life application, and we will be done. When facing a coming challenge of whatever sort, it is always best to precede meeting that challenge with... Prayer. Thank you. With prayer, depending on the weight of what lies ahead, it may even be good to reach out to others for their prayer as well. Paul's letters show us that this is the preferred method of handling such things. Now, I asked us to pray for Sergio on Sunday because he has had a miserable week. Very, very painful. Hasn't been out of bed in over a week And today I called him and he went out for the first time today. He left his bed and he went out and did some things with people that are visiting him. So today, instead of praying for closing the service in one way, we're going to pray, close in praise, thanking the Lord for what happened. Heavenly Father, we certainly thank you for this class. We thank you for the instruction that we have been given. We hope that it's proper and that uh, if it's not, that the people would not assimilate it, but would uh, reject it. But I would hope that that's not the case on my part that i've handled this properly and i want to thank you for that i want to praise you for it that we have a chance to meet here in this group and to uh, fellowship with others even those who are online and i want to give you just a huge huge note of praise for what you did in sergio and thanking you on behalf of all the people that have been praying for him that he is up that he is walking again and i would also ask for one more thing in regard to this is that you would give him wisdom to not do anything again that would hurt himself Because he's young, he's big, he's uh, supposedly a strong guy, and he may take it to an extreme that he should not. So give him wisdom in this to keep himself from harming himself. That's why he gave you gave him a Arab wife, so that she can carry that burden for him, and uh, he's got friends he can rely on. And so we would pray that together they would help him to uh, keep him from harming himself any further. But for right now, we are very thankful to you, and we praise you because of the great things that you have done. And we also pray one more time for all the needs that we mentioned at the beginning of this service and throughout it of people going through their own troubles. Please be with them and help them to realize that they are suffering for a good reason, and you will reveal it to them someday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's back this baby up here.
1: 65-24, Isaiah. Okay, 65.
0: Oh, it is Isaiah. Almost, okay, almost to Jeremiah.